Welcome back, everyone, to After the Sermon Ends. We know that after the sermon ends, the conversations can begin. Today, I'm joined by Pastor Marcus Donaldson and a good friend back on the podcast for first time in almost a year, Mr. Dawson Murray. How are we doing, guys? Living the dream. Most excellent. So, Dawson, you have a very interesting story of how you came to be here today. You uh, asked off of work of your early morning job to to come on the podcast just for just for this particular passage. Why why do you think this passage was something you wanted to come and talk about? It's a good passage. Yeah. Anything in particular about it that you're like, I need to talk about this. No, it's just a good passage. <laughs> <laughs> Reason enough. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited to get into it with you and glad you're here with us. Glad your work was able to uh, let you off. Shout out to UNG, best alma mater out there. Best what? Alma mater. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. You graduated from there too. <laughs> All right. So Marcus, you, you continued our um, series in Romans, preaching Romans 1, 18 through 23. Why don't you give us a quick recap of that? Yeah. I mean, you're, this is your typical Mother's Day passage. Mm-hmm. Great Mother's Day passage. So, you know, I, I'm just kind of following the flow of what's been done before me. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to add on that real quick. I really like how Marcus just cuts against the grain of all evangelicalism on Mother's Day because <laughs> usually you have a um, you know a, a, a sermon about like celebrating moms right yeah there's some roses in there and what does he do reminds them that they too suppress the truth and unrighteousness <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what I was going for yeah um, no th- well just to talk about that for a second the so the pattern that was set before me with Jared um, was more along the lines of like we want to recognize and um, appreciate our mothers and fathers and kids. But if we, if we did that for every holiday, we would never like preach through anything. Yeah. Um, so I'm not entirely opposed to it, but I'm just following the pattern that was um, set before me. So anyways, Romans 1, 18 through 23, it's three sentences in the Greek. And here <clears throat> what we see is that instead of, explaining the wonderful truths that he just introduced in the theme of his letter in verses 16 and 17, he goes into um, the wrath of God, right? So Mm -hmm. the righteousness of God is revealed in uh, verses 16 and 17, right? Through the gospel um, as the saving power of God. But here, just like the gospel is revealed, God's wrath is revealed. um, And it has some very real consequences uh, in the present day, right? That uh, is being revealed. It's a. It's in the present tense. So um, it's not something past. It's not something future. It's a, a very present reality for all who are outside of Christ. Um, and I think that this is foundational. Dawson and I were talking about it. Foundational for us to understand not only our condition, if, if you're a believer, but understand our condition apart from Christ, before coming to know Christ in saving faith, before he saved us. Um, But also how we engage non-believers. That's something he and I were talking about. But anyways, when we know this, when we know that, that God is a holy God, that he's just, that he's righteous, um, and in his holy righteousness and justice, a natural reaction to a natural reaction against sin would be wrath. If 
Uh, we don't have a God without wrath. We have a really big issue. Um, and so here we, here we are. We see that um, Paul kind of breaks it down. I'm trying not to punch in because I'm sure we'll punch in at some point, but really suppressing the truth about God, suppressing the knowledge of God, is the chief sin that leads to all the other sins that Paul is going to go ahead and explain um, in the rest of the passage. So we tried to answer questions like, why is God so angry at sinners? Um, Does anybody have an excuse? Um, Some of those ones that we hear pretty often from some believers and non-believers, but if we understand that that's a, that we actively suppress the knowledge of God like before we are in Christ, um, we won't appeal to evidence first. We won't appeal to um, human reasoning first because it's it's unworkable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll just stop there and we'll we'll go. It it leads to idolatry inevitably. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Dawson? What were some of your takeaways? Well, just building off of that, um, in terms of uh, we're talking about dealing with unbelievers beginning with this, this idea of suppressing the natural knowledge of God and why we don't appeal to evidence as necessarily first or human reason necessarily first is because they're already committed to a worldview that denies God. It even says this in the beginning. It says they, they've exchanged the glory of God for the glory of something that's been created, right? And because of this, they've became a fool. That was That's the term that's used, right? Um, that's not an insult. That's not like a uh, Mr. T, <laughs> I pity the fool type deal. Like yeah. it's a and 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 scripture. It's explaining. It's an intellectual judgment. Um, and if you guys have been here on uh, Wednesdays, you've probably heard me talk about this a few times. This idea that a your starting point, whatever you view as your ultimate, which usually has to do with your view of reality, is going to inform how you think about the world, and that's going to inform your conclusions about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Van Til, uh, you probably heard me say it, to, or Cornelius Van Til, I should say the full name. People on Wednesdays have probably heard me say that uh, him as well, re- reference him. He always says the starting point, the method, and conclusion are always involved in one, in one another. So you can, you can uh, give evidences all day long, but because they're pre-committed to an unbelieving worldview, they're just going to interpret that through that unbelieving lens. So that's why you attack the foundation. You attack the object of their worship. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why this passage is so foundational is because it connects knowledge, how we know things, to worship itself. Um, this is foundational for us. Um, and um, if you worship God, if God is your ultimate, that's gonna inform, he's going to inform how you think about the world. That's just, that's just a matter of a fact. If you believe that everything is the product of chance, that's going to inform how you think about the world. Um, so, and, yeah, that, go ahead. And that's what we hit um, in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. That's that vertical dim, uh, dimension referring right. to a, a lack of reverence for God, a lack of commitment or devotion to God, and a lack of worship for the um, one true God. And then unrighteousness being that horizontal dimension. Uh, but like uh, Dawson's saying, I was about to say, like Paul is saying, pointing to you, um, we, we attack his majesty before we attack his law. Right. And, and so that's when we approach it through um, an improper lens, uh, then we're going to stay or we're going to continue to operate in that. Um, and, and we can't break out of that from the middle of that. Right. We have to go back to the start. It's, it's recognizing that there's not, there's not a neutral ground. Right. 
um, between the believer and the unbeliever. The only neutral ground that we can establish in our worldview is the fact that they're made in the image of God. They're made, they're, there's a, uh, a Dr. Lane Tipton from uh, Reformed Forum. What, he was a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. Um, he, uh, he refers to this as, as concreated knowledge, this idea that we are made with a natural knowledge of God. And that's what he's talking about in, in verse 19, where he, where he says that, that God has made it evident within them, um, uh, which is great because he's not, he's not allowing or he's not letting um, man through his fallible means of knowledge come to God's existence. God's making it known. Right. Um, so much so that it's inbuilt, it's ingrained. It's part of the image of God going all the way back to, to uh, Genesis 1 and 2. Um, so there's another point, but my mind just kind of <laughs> right, went yeah. off in a different direction. But Yeah, I, I mean, I really like that of what you guys are saying about like the the sin attacks his majesty first like, in our lives. It, it attacks the the worship of God in our lives and, and leads us to worship other things. And, you know, so often when we come to try to, you know, fix someone or um, like we, we, we think the first the, the first job is behavior modification, you know, get rid of the, the sinful behavior, you know, sin management and, you know, make them, you know, good in their actions and then their heart will follow. It's like it, that, that is so backwards. And I'm, I'm so glad that, that Paul here is, is making that so, so clear for us. Like last week talking about the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. You know, we, we saw last week it's, it's from faith and it's finished by faith. And then here, on the opposite end, the wrath of God starts with the ungodliness attacking the majesty and then continues with the unrighteous actions of whether it's interacting with people in the world or, you know, our uh, interacting with ourselves, just whatever unrighteous action that we have. So attacks that vertical relationship with God and then the horizontal relationship. So, yeah, I mean, I guess just... You said you wanted to punch into something earlier, so why don't you just? No, punch I said in, before we punch in. Yeah, let's punch in. Then. But I mean that it's. I, I think the, the second part of verse eighteen, is I mean it's significant in our understanding of this. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, right? Like holding on to that sin. So that they can suppress or like push down this knowledge, right? Like um, stifle it. So that they can um, ignore it. It's not. It's not because God hasn't made Himself clear. It's not because He hasn't made Himself known or or given us um, the ability to perceive these things. It's just that we have stifled this knowledge. We've suppressed this knowledge, um, and and ultimately we reject it. We talked about the beach ball, a pretty popular um, illustration of this, but I I think it's pretty helpful, right? It's like it's not something that we don't possess, right? Um, what does he say in verse 19? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Or God has revealed himself. Instead, we, we suppress that knowledge. We, we push it down. We, we keep it underwater instead of embracing it. We're, we're not, mankind is never reaching for God or, or like, finding their way to, towards God. Instead, we're actively suppressing that uh, that knowledge and that search. So, and the second thing, God takes the initiative to make himself known. We don't climb the mountains or traverse the valleys. Like, 
God does the work. I think another important point, because I know at least an area that I've struggled with the idea of general revelation is just this idea. I mean, you even touched in your sermon, this idea that, that there's a general knowledge that all men know God in a very basic sense through creation. And this is sufficient for judgment. Not salvation. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for judgment. For judgment right. Not for salvation. <laughs> right. And uh um and people struggle, it's like, well, that's surely not enough information. And um and I think a way you can kind of get around that is you is is understanding that general revelation was never meant to be by itself. Right. If you go back to, to Genesis, um general and special always go together. General revelation exists, I always argued by just by the necessity of God creating. God is independent in all things. Before, before everything was, it, it was just Him. Um, a way I like to to uh, an analogy I like to use the idea of an artist. How how if you draw something or you paint something, us as humans we're always dependent upon external reference points. Even if you pop up something in your head, you're still depending upon things you've experienced as you know through existing. God doesn't have external reference points. He's His own reference point. So creation can only reflect Him because He's not dependent upon anything beyond himself, nor is anything that exists beyond himself apart from his will. So so creation declaring the glory of God happens just by necessity of him creating. But uh, we see in Genesis, at, right after um, uh, a man and woman are created, an immediate word communication. You know, he, he, he says to them, uh, 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 be fruitful, multiply, you know, uh, subdue the earth and have dominion. Um these two were always meant to go together, but when the fall takes place, that's when the special goes away and then is revealed uh, to certain people throughout history. And then, of course, now we have the inscripturated form of it, right? It's in the Word. Um, but they were always meant to go hand in hand. Um, the fall is what leads to this separation and then us just going our own way. Um, we still have the general knowledge, but we've rejected the special. And then we've our generations after that have rejected it or don't even know about it now uh, because we've, we've, as it says in uh, going back to verse, what is it? 2023, right? Exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God. We, we've, we've, we've established these religions, these societies, all of these based upon essentially what's idolatry. Yeah. And Marcus, I was really glad that, that be like, after you were talking about general revelation, being sufficient for condemnation and judgment, like you, you brought up the necessity of missions about how like this shouldn't lead us to just questioning God automatically. Like it's, you know, it's reasonable that we would have questions and then we, we can continue searching the scriptures for those, for the answers. But that should also spur us on to a greater urgency for completing the great commission. It's like for those that are left in their unrighteousness, in their sin and that don't have any hope, um, and they don't have the special revelation to to free them from their condemnations. Like we need to be the ones as believers to go out and share the gospel continually, so that we can like turn the lights on for them, and and we can give them the special revelation of the word that we've been given ourselves. Um, and I think that's that is such a better response than just you know sitting there and complaining about how God is you know un. Um, is unrighteous and doesn't um, make any sense in that way. Yeah, how he how he's unjust. Yeah, unjust. Right, unjust for for sending people to hell. But when you acknowledge that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, when you acknowledge that that all people apart from Christ are suppressing this truth and this knowledge, um, 
and then you you ask, well, hey, he's commissioned us, so why aren't more of us going? In and you know, like not just to the tribes, not just to the islands, not just to the, you know the ten forty window, but I mean like ten steps out of your front door to your neighbor, or um, at your school or your workplace, whatever the case may be, like people need special revelation to be saved because general revelation is insufficient in itself, like just alone. It was never, like Dawson was saying, never intended um, to be isolated or to be exclusive. Um, But the fall corrupted that. And we should be thankful um, that a holy, righteous, and just God saved us through, uh, through Christ. Uh, a substitutionary atonement. I'm trying not to, I'm not trying to get high, yeah. um, very high level, not high on substance. Sorry. I'm, it's Tuesday. Um, <laughs> Marcus is struggling guys. Please be praying. For yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So what I'm saying is instead of saying, how could a holy, righteous and just God be good for sending people to hell who've never heard about Jesus, instead of asking why am I as a Christian um, unwilling to go and, and proclaim this special revelation uh, to people who've never heard about Jesus. And I think also to add to that, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to ask that question of why God uh, you know, will send somebody to hell who's never heard of Christ. Because he's, he, Paul even makes his argument in Romans 2. Sorry to spoil her. Um, uh, you should have had it read anyways. But uh, uh, the, the, the idea that those who... Who, uh, who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and those who have um, uh, sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And then if the Gentiles do things which are like the law, right, uh, they show that there's a law written on their hearts. Right. right. So God's so so God God's not going to judge God's not going to judge somebody who's never heard of Christ for not believing in Christ because they don't have that knowledge. He's going to judge them on what they know, and what do they? Well, they they have a general knowledge of who he is, but they know what's right and wrong. And um, when you get uh, later to, um, it's another spoiler, Romans 3, such a great, anyways, Romans 3, uh, 19 and uh, 20, um, well, I'll just read 19, it says, uh, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are in the law, so that every mouth may be shut, and all the world may become accountable to God. That shutting of the mouths of all people is not God putting duct tape on people's mouths. You know, he's not he's not like yeah. stopping people from making objections to his judgment. I think that is a that is a recognition of the righteousness of God's judgment. He, his judgment is going to be so right, uh, no one's going to be able to argue against him. Like, what are you going to say when he judges? Because and you just do a little self examination of the sins of your past week and see how fair, see see how uh, uh, see how you fare. You know, um, you'll you'll recognize that guilt, and in that final day, everybody's gonna be uh, is gonna recognize it, and they won't be able to argue against it. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to just go back a little bit to that idea of suppressing the truth. Um, just kind of like a contemporary question. Like what, what are some ways that you see people today, like, uh, suppressing that truth in in the lives? Like, is it about the same as people back then or like, are are there different ways that people suppress the truth today? Fundamentally, I think it's always the same. Yeah. Um, I think the expression, I mean, I'm sure it changes with time. 
Um, but the fundamentally, it's the same thing, either denying God in part or in full. Mm-hmm. Um, j- this is why wrath is such a like a mind-blowing topic, because there are a lot of people who would call themselves Christians, and I'm not trying to doubt that. I'm just saying that there's a lot of people who ignore uh, God's wrath, and in so doing, I think that they deny his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice, uh, and his love, and his mercy, and his grace. I, I think it, it waters down all of all of these um, attributes of God, and, and his glory. Like, I mean, we could keep going. Anyways, the I think when you um, when you create a God that you want, it's the exact it's the same thing. You're suppressing the truth um, of God objectively, and then obviously in full atheists, um, other religions like fundamentally, I think it's the same. It's just maybe expressed differently. Yeah, and I, I, I like this question because I th- I think the the biggest differences between let's say sin in the first century versus sin now. Is just that we're just in different clothing, literally just right. different clothes. We just, you know, for, uh, sin and sin in the fir- in, uh, in first century sandals is no different from sin in twenty first century Nikes. You know, it's just yeah. it's the same stuff. We just look different, look more modern. Yep. We have microphones in front of us. You know, it's you know, but at the end of the day, it's just the same. Yeah, that's good. All right, so I mean that that covered through about uh, verse twenty. Um, what what else do you guys see there versus 21, 22, um, starting to talk about there without excuse, they although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, and then they became futile in thinking. What like So you talked in your message, Marcus, about the ramifications of suppressing the truth. Uh, why don't you just dive into that a little bit? Yeah, the, well, so uh, we're in 21 because you said they're without excuse. That was the end of 20. Yep. Um Okay, so what happens when you suppress the truth of God? You you stumble into idolatry, like you you live in idolatry. That's that's essentially what happens. There <clears throat> there are two, um, I guess maybe expressions that maybe would kind of go in line with that question that you just asked, right? Like uh, the the first being. Uh, they dishonor God, right? It's rooted in pride. They they fail to glorify that word doxazo in the Greek, um, glory or glorify. Um, they fail to, to glorify God. They fail to exalt him, um, to praise him for uh, the for who he is, right? Yeah. Um, and then they, they fail to thank him. And then three consequences, they become futile in their thinking or their reasoning. Uh, their foolish hearts are darkened. And then they become fools, right? So you you see this like de-evolution of sinful man. And I think another important thing, uh, especially in verse 21, um, is that it, I think it gives us further insight in, into the nature of of man's natural knowledge of God. And and I and I and I put this, I think of this in terms of Genesis three. I put this back in Genesis and understanding this in terms of all humanity has fallen in Adam and Eve. Um, but the word new there is not simply to have knowledge of. In the Greek, it's gnosko. It's 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 an in, in, uh, intimate form of knowing. Um, just to give a few examples of that throughout. throughout um, does it does it in the in the Septuagint? Is it um, 
Gnosko as well for um, Genesis 3. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, you look that up. I have no idea. But uh, um, like Luke, Luke 134, so when it describes, what, after Mary hears the news that she's going to have have Jesus from Gabriel, she goes, how can this be, uh, for I am a virgin? That term uh, virgin there in the Greek is andreugonosko, which is a man I have not known. So it's talking about an in- intimate knowing. Christ uses the same word in uh, John 17, 3, when he describes the nature of eternal life, when he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, uh, the Father and and the one whom you sent. So it's an intimate knowing. Um, and this is the knowing that Adam and Eve had in the garden with God. It was not just a, a abstract knowledge of God. Yeah. Um, it was rooted in their creation. They knew him by creation intimately in a, uh, I like to use the phrase, in a natural religious fellowship. Um, and they did not glorify him or give thanks, right? And but what's what's interesting is verse twenty two. It says, "Professing to be wise, they became fools." You see this in Genesis three, after the the uh, the uh, serpent uh, tempts Eve. What does she say of the tree, or what is her thoughts of the tree? She looks at it and says, "It's good for food and desirable to make one wise." So she completely rejects God's word, God's interpretation of the tree. What would happen? Yeah, and she interprets it for herself. Mm-hmm becoming her own authority right. on the matter. And and what ends up happening? Well well one, I would say she tried to be neutral in God's world. She tried being she tried being uh uh being her own authority yeah. um uh between her and God or God and, and the serpent, their words. Um but what what ends up happening is they fall and they realize, oh what you can't be neutral in God's world. You can't deny this because what immediately happens is their shame, their guilt that hits them like a like a ton of bricks, right? Um, and it's the same thing with, with the unbeliever. When God confronts us in salvation, he convicts us of what of what we know is sinful. And 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 that's when we realize, oh wait, yeah, we, we we've known, let's say, this is sinful this entire time, right? And he convicts us, he confronts us on that, and we realize that um uh in that moment. And then we of course we repent and turn to Christ, but Anyways, there's a lot to say there, but yeah, and something interesting from verse 22 is like, or not 22, 21, where it's talking about they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So it, it there's ramifications both for the the intellect of knowing God, but also the, their hearts for experiencing God and loving God. You know, it sin dulls our ability to understand um, His Word. And, and dulls our ability to like interpret it properly. And then sin also dulls our affections for him. And um, both as believers, but also like that's what happens with, with unbelievers as well. And they need the Holy Spirit to come and remove that, that darkness and that dullness from their lives so they can, can be sensitive to um, God's word and his spirit again. And, and you also, I mean, you see this hardness of heart going all the way back to the beginning as well. When, when Adam and Eve are confronted, Adam is like, first, like, oh, I mean, I was, I saw my nakedness. It was hiding from you. It's like, who, who told you you were naked? Like, God was still in some way gracious to him. Yeah. But when you get to the next chapter with the story of Cain, and he murders his brother, and God says, where is your brother? Mm-hmm. What is his response? Am, am I my brother's keeper? Like, I don't know where he's at. Mm-hmm. Lying, of course, right? And that's when God, of course, judges him. Actually judges him in the same way he judges the serpent, because they're both cursed. 
Adam and Eve aren't, are, you don't see the word, accursed are you. Yeah. Cain and the serpent are connected in that way. Um, uh, but the point being is that there's a hardness of sin going all the way back to the beginning that you see chapter four, immediately right after the fall. Yeah. Um, uh, it is, it is, again, it just shows the corrupting nature, how evil this stuff actually is. Why it shouldn't be toyed with because it's knocking at the door. Yeah. And its desire is for us. That's so good. Marcus, did you find out what that word was? I'm very close. Where, wh- you guys should see this. He has a bunch of old manuscripts just piled out on the desk. He's just flipping through All pages. All these scrolls, it's, it's really uh, slow and yeah. painstaking. <laughs> a magnifying glass. And, but yeah, you guys can carry on. I'm, I'll get there in a second. Well, let me ask a question, Josh. What were your general thoughts of the? <laughs> let me host the podcast real quick. What are your thoughts on, on uh, this great Mother's Day sermon? Well, I was in kids, but um, I did listen to it, and it was it was a great message. Um, I think the the thing that really, um, that really stuck out to me from his message, and this kind of goes into verse twenty three, is the the idea of stumbling into idolatry, like Marcus, you already said it earlier, but um, this idea that it's like no one sets out to, you know, make an idol like right at the outset of their, their beginning. And like no one's saying, Oh, I want to go worship a, a golden calf. You know, it's like who, who in their right mind is going to say, Oh, I want to worship this object when they've already received revelation from God. But it's like, it's a progressive more and more like becoming more futile in their thinking and their, their hearts being more and more darkened. And eventually they, they stumble into this idolatry of like they're worshiping a golden calf. They're worshiping Buddha. They're worshiping just objects that have no value and, and, and no soul. And like, there's, there's no, um, being in them. Right. And, um, yeah. And it's just this idea of like, they're just feeling around for something in the dark. And it just goes back to the idea that they, that they need the lights turned on. I think uh, I, I'm not sure if I would say the word stumbling into idolatry. I would say that as a as a consequence of of our sinful nature, it's just the course of it. It's just the natural. In the same way as how we are, but how Adam and Eve were made in a natural religious fellowship with God. That is to say that that they just knew Him automatically. Um, us fallen in our sins, it's just a natural course to be selfish, right? So, like you might have. Like when you think of like other religions, uh, that's a more structured version of idolatry. But if you think of just your own life, like I'm my greatest idol, you know. I, yep. s- you know, and and uh, when it comes, to, it's, it's the uh, uh, when it, when we when we want to satisfy the flesh, we want to indulge in sin. That's going back to idolatry. In fact, you mentioned the verse. Um, Marcus, uh, and the sermon is First Corinthians ten thirty one. This idea of whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all for the glory of God. He's saying the framework for all activities. I love how he's like. It seems like Paul is starting up a list there, eating and drinking, and then he just whatever. Like it just kind of, like, but do it all for the glory of God. He's putting worship as the framework for all of life. Yeah, because worship as a lost person is the framework for all of life. But the object is our idols. Yeah. Um, uh, and this is this is what he's saying. He, there, there's no, there's never a point in in uh, in our fallen nature in which we stop being worshipers. Um, 
even in, and even in our redeemed nature, there's never a point in which we stop being worshipers. It's just the nature of, of us being made in the image of God, being made as a creature who's supposed to glorify him, serve him, um, things like that. Uh, but in the case of our fallen nature, we just naturally go towards sinful things. Um, yeah, I say stumble not as in it's accidental. I think it's like I added the that to imply that this negative, like you you made a big mistake here by, well, we all did at once in the sermon, especially um, made the, the mistake of um, suppressing the truth of God and as a as a result, you know, I think some of us stumbled further into what we would say um, further into idolatry, but idolatry nonetheless. Um, you know, I I don't know any of you um, if you've worshipped worshipped any golden calves, but I haven't. But certainly the unholy trinity, me myself and I, um, where I was the highest. Um, sense of morality and you know just everything I'd, i made the agenda i set the course i did all this um and obviously i didn't uh, but I, I thought i was the the object of all of that um but yeah stumbling not in the sense of like it's accidental it is the it's the natural consequence of suppressing the truth of god that like that's where everybody goes but stumbling in the sense that like you're you're not able to walk right. You're not able to, to glorify God. You're not able to do what it is that we were created to do, which is to worship God um, and, and to enjoy him, right? Like the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we, we read that on Sunday, just that one thing, not the, not the whole catechism. But um, I, I, I was listening to uh, something on the way here, and it's this guy that I've been trying to like, figure out and nail down and and he was saying um you have to be born again to walk with me to get into the kingdom and you know it's like we were talking about contextualization and he made it like an entirely this world thing like you have to be born again in order to to be rich what he was saying was you have to develop a different mindset for looking at life in the world and it's like if you're not careful like you could easily read that into John three and it's not there. It's like, that's not it. That's not what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. Um, and in the same way, I think, I think that we offer, um, this, like you were talking about it earlier, like behavior modification and all of these things. When, when none of all of that can be great, we, we could be, um, these really great people in the world, but if they're not, if we are not right with God, it's it's all worthless. Number one, and then secondarily, um, it'll always. I think life will always push us into a place where, um, consequently, we realize that we are the idol um, that we're doing this all for, rather than a God that we don't believe in. Yeah, that's good. Sorry, that was really circular, but I, I had a thought and it went away. Right, right. Um, yeah, so we're a good good bit over time here, but no uh, way. Just what wanted to it? game time. It, the time is, we're at thirty five minutes. Oh, we have plenty of time left. The divine exchange. They exchanged the the glory of the immortal God for images resembling idols. 
created things. This yeah. is what you do when you suppress the truth of God, when you when you reject God, when you stifle the truth of God. Um, and, and Americans, I would say, by and large, and not just America alone, but, man, like, imagine standing before a holy, righteous, and just God in judgment, as all people will. Um, and you're and you hear his righteous judgment, and your mouth and your mouth is stopped, and you see all the things that you were. That's what I was going down. You see all the things, um, all the created things that you've worshipped in life. It's like you know, in a 30, 35 minute sermon, I can't, I can't do that work for you. But I, man, that's a scary thing to think um, that apart from Christ, that's that's what every person. Uh, will receive. But praise God, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Um, any final thoughts, encouragements for the listener from either one of you? God is knowable. Um, he took the initiative to make himself known. We have both general and special revelation. We should not seek um evidentialism, using evidence and human reasoning and everything else, behavior modification, whatever approach as our starting point for apologetics, or I would just say, simply put, engaging non-believers. Yeah. Right? It's not, why do you, you know, don't you feel bad for acting this way? Or don't you think that this would be a better way to act? Like, no, we have to start um, with, with the, I guess maybe the gate yeah. To, to all of this, which is uh, the knowledge of God, which they reject and suppress. So we have to start with uh, what we would call, well, not we, but it's called presuppositionalism. Um, start there. And then I think from there, because it, you know, it, it gets to a point where you, you're just kind of beating them up <laughs> and you're, you're beating them up and they're already down. It's like um, they get it. They, they can't know. Um, they're suppressing this truth. Um, so I think from there you can you can go uh, some different avenues. But, I mean, you cannot start with human reasoning and logic and evidence. It just doesn't work. Yeah, now to add to that, it's not denying uh, logical arguments or right. the evidence for God's existence or the evidence for the resurrection. I mean, the evidence right. for the resurrection is amazing. Yep. Um, but it's recognizing the the differences of worldviews and how we think about the world. If you have somebody, um, I'm, then this doesn't characterize all atheist thinkers. I mean, atheists are fairly diverse in how they think about the world. So don't. But if you have somebody who who argues that consciousness is an illusion, and then they act as if it's not, or they argue as if it matters, um, and that's that, uh, that argument comes from which they're, they're no longer. A, really a big thing now, but one of the, the quote-unquote four horsemen of atheism. Wow, they have horsemen. They have horsemen, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, a guy named Daniel Dennett. Anyways, the point being is is uh, if, if, if that's your position, or if your position is everything is the product of chance, everything that exists happens by mere accident, people don't realize that that completely undercuts our th- our the way in which we come to know things. If you take that seriously... Uh, just to give an example, we think of like the laws of logic, um, the law of non-contradiction, this idea that um, a, a thing can't both uh, be something and then be what it's not at the same time. If, if that is not a universal, necessary truth, 
as it as the Christian worldview can ground that, right? Because it reflects the mind of God in the Christian worldview. But if you have an atheist, uh, uh, atheistic worldview that says everything's the product of chance, you don't have a necessary standard for knowledge, because that one it can't be transcendent. It can't be necessary. It can only be the product of human minds, and human minds are the product of this accidental process. Yeah, that completely undercuts knowledge itself. It completely undercuts when they start when people start uh, when when uh, and I and I'm just picking on atheist here because it's what I've studied the most. But um, uh, if someone says X Y Z is morally right or morally wrong, how do you how do you ground that in a world? which says everything that exists is the mere product of chance. Mm -hmm. You can't ground it. It's all socially constructed. Um, And what's funny, this is not like a, (laughs) this is not really quote unquote Christian arguments. This is just what they're saying. If you just read atheist thinkers, uh, uh, guys like David Hume or guys like, um, um, they're skipping my mind at the top right now, but uh, they just admit that they're uh, Richard Dawkins. People just admit that, there is no moral foundation. It's like, but then you act morally. Right. Like, how do you justify that? <laughs> right. It's like, right. it's, it's like in, in reality, the only way you can make sense of logic being necessary, morality being necessary, is you're depending upon the Christian worldview, the worldview that you've been raised in, the worldview that structured the society that you're in, specifically in the West. Um, yet in your rejection, you lose that as a foundation. Um, Van Til used to always say, you're living off of borrowed capital. Um, and that, and that goes why, like, what's the proof of the Christian worldview? Well, if you reject the God of the Bible, whatever worldview you construct leads to a reductio ad absurdum. It it reduces you to absurdity. Um, you become a, say that one more time, a reductio ad absurdum. It's a, it's a Latin (laughs) Latin. for reduces. It's a philosophical phrase. I'm sorry. How many languages have you spoken on this podcast today? Um, two, three, three English, Latin. In Greek. Greek, but that's but there's no what Hebrew? he's talking about. It it's pretty common. Yeah. yeah, yada is the word in the Greek for known. It yeah. and in the Septuagint, it isn't. Um, and even here in Romans one twenty one, sorry, going back, it's not. It's um, not genosco. It's um, genoske, genostes. And here Genos- Romans. Yeah, yeah, Romans one twenty one, because having known, um, it's a it's a, uh, conjugate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the root of it. Yeah. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Well, what was I saying? I don't Oh, Reductio. The, point, the, point being, the point being is this, the proof of the Christian worldview is that if you reject him, you lose a foundation for knowledge. If you, the, and, and we all utilize these things in, in arguments or conversations with unbelievers. Um, uh, just one final example. I know we're going over time, but who cares? Um, uh, it's a social construct. It's a social construct. <laughs> um, that's not, we need to have a, we just need a podcast on presuppositionalism, but um, uh, an unbeliever, an, say atheist, for example, is going to expect you to be logical in a debate. They're going to expect you to be moral in a debate, but hold that, hold them account to that in their own worldview. Cause I, I could just say, well, look, is it, can I win this debate by shooting you? Let's, let's just use that as an example. <laughs> they might say no, because why? Because shooting, murdering people is wrong. But then they're affirming a moral standard that their worldview can't justify. If they say yes, well, then you win the debate. And they, <laughs> they try to justify it by something that is not objective. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just subjective. Like, right. that's that's what it boils down to. And the, the further and further you go down that road, the more you just reveal that. Yeah. 
and and then what you end up what you want to dig for in these conversations in the unbeliever is arbitrariness, um, and that's what you end up uh, doing. And back to that gun analogy, Greg Bonson in a debate with I can't remember the guy's name, but he he used that example. And wasn't and, it at like um, UNC Chapel Hill or something like that? Maybe it was either. Oh, who was it? Bonson versus who? Uh, Gordon Stein or yes, yes, yes. Stein. And uh, he 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 used that, and he goes, and I'm just going to say to the atheist with my gun drawn, make my day. Yeah, you know, because yeah. because <laughs> either way, you're you're going to be giving you're going to be giving either one that allows you to lose the debate, affirming your relativism, or one that you can only make uh, unless the God of the Bible exists. Um, I mean, that should be a movie. The apologist that travels around winning arguments with a gun. <laughs> that's there, there you go. There you go. Cause obviously he didn't pull it out, but they'd have to add like some Hollywood stuff to it. Right. You know, and he would actually have to pull it out. Right. Tell the, tell the same people who made the gospel blimp movie. To make yeah. That yeah. One. Yeah. Winning, winning souls, uh, to the Lord at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Solid approach. There that's you go. Great. I think that's a great point to, to close out. We're at 45 minutes. It's been a, it's been a Amen. great time. Uh, listener, we, we pray that this conversation was beneficial for you. Um, if you have any questions or you just want to reach out and engage in this conversation with us, you can um, you can find Dawson at City Church on Sundays or Wednesdays. You can talk with him about that type of stuff. And then where else can they reach us, Marcus? JoshXRichards at gmail.com. That's right. Uh, listener, we pray that you can join us on Sundays at uh, 10 a.m. at City Church in Gainesville. But until next time. Thank you.